Good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you are live at Moss or, and at Zor Campus or whether you are live streaming from uh, the Carolinas or, or literally all across the country and, and uh, even some parts of India, wherever you're tuning in or connecting, I'm Talbot Davis, pastor here. Really glad that you have joined us. This is the last message in this series, Who's Your One? It's a series where we've really wanted all the people who've been invited into a living relationship with Jesus Christ to turn into invite into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And today's message is called A Winning Strategy. If you have your Bible with you, maybe you have a Bible that looks like this, or maybe it's loaded on your phone, locate Acts chapter 17, the book of Acts chapter 17, starting about verse 16. And if your Bible isn't here, that's okay. All the words are going to be up on the screen at just the right time, the way they always are. And, and we make sure that happens. We love it when you see the Bible for yourself rather than taking my word for it. Because we believe that this library, and it's not a book, it is a library in the book of Acts, is in the section of the library devoted to history and to travel, and actually it's like an annual report of the church. But we believe that the whole thing, God breathed his life into its words, he put his truth onto its pages. The Bible really is inspired and eternal and true. You may not believe that yet, we just want to be honest with what kind of church we are. And because we do believe this in leadership here about Scripture, when we talk about the Bible, we lift it up. And whether you're live streaming or live, we lift it up. And if you've not been here before, you've not tuned in before, and you're like, there are all these phones and books and stuff in the air, that's just kind of strange. And, and we admit it. It is a little bit different. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we're a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word and ready for its power to be let loose in our lives. Amen? And before I say anything else, uh, we're going to pray. And, and before we pray, just look real quick. Look to your right. Look to your right. And now look to your left. Good. You see somebody in your mind's eye. And, and if you're tuning in live stream, somebody you're watching with or somebody on your heart, Instead of me praying for this message, would you just pray that that person you saw on your right or the person you saw on your left gets a lot out of the talk that I'm getting ready to give? Let's pray. So God, you've, you've given us those faces and those names, people on either side of us. Speak to them. Speak through me. Same Holy Spirit who gave us the book of Acts. Let him give us a real encounter with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I heard a, a, about a, a guy who was a religion professor in a college, kind of like does a little bit of what I do, except in an academic setting instead of in a church setting. And he was on a plane, and the plane was headed from California to Philadelphia, and his seatmate found out what he did for a living. And so they were in a, this is before the pandemic, like when you could A, go on planes, and B, talk to the person next to you on a plane. Can I hear an amen for those days? And, 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 and so the, they found out what he did for a living, and the seatmate decided to offer to the religion professor kind of his thoughts and views on religion and on faith and on eternity. And, and, and he, he summarized what he was trying to say by, by, by saying to the religion professor, you know, I've given this a lot of thought 
And where I've landed when it comes to religion and when it comes to faith is, is that there are a whole lot of ways to get to Philadelphia. You can fly there, you can take a bus there, you can take a train there, you can drive to Philadelphia, but any way you get there, you're going to get there. And I figure that it is the same way with God, that whatever path you want to take to God, ultimately, all paths go the same place. And a lot of people believe that. A lot of people think, maybe a lot of you think that and believe that. Because it sounds really tolerant. It sounds really, can't we all just get along? It, it sounds like you're really curious about religion and curious about faith. And, but, but we can all agree that some of the most annoying people in the world when it comes to religion and faith, that, that they're the overconfident ones. And we don't want to be annoying. Well, maybe some of you do, but that's your problem, not mine. We don't, we don't want to be annoying. And so rather than being overconfident about religion and faith, we'd much rather be just kind of perennially curious. They were always asking questions, never really settling the answer. And, and there's so many people who believe this way, maybe a lot of you do, maybe people you love do, and I just want you to know that, that, that Paul, pastor, missionary, author in the New Testament, he does something today in the book of Acts that I just love, and I, I just want you to know, I kind of love, 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 love this, the story that we're going to look at today. I've been looking forward all week to being able to share from it with you, and the book of Acts, as you may or, or may not know, it's like one part travel narrative and, it, and it's one part annual report for the church in the first 20 or 30 years after Jesus died and rose again, which is really when the church exploded all around the Mediterranean world. And when we get to Acts chapter 17, Paul, pastor, missionary, author, big guy in the early church, He's in Athens, Greece. And, and you need to know that Athens, Greece is like where all the smart people, it was a college town. Y'all hearing that this is a college town, Athens, Greece. And it was like having all of Harvard and Yale and Princeton in one city. And some of you are like, those are Yankee schools. How about you give, okay. It was like having Duke and Vanderbilt and Davidson. You feel better? All all in, in one city, all the smart people lived in Athens and they loved nothing more than, than to bring all their questions about life and art and faith and meaning and they just loved to sit around and talk about them. They didn't really need to get to any answers. They just thought that sitting around and talking about these big issues was really kind of their purpose in life. And, and in all of their curiosity, they were very, very religious. Look at what we see in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Look how the whole story starts. While Paul was waiting for them, he's waiting for some other Christians to join him. In Athens, he was greatly distressed. You might want to underline those words, greatly distressed to see that the city was full of Idols. So all around Athens, and actually the saying was that there are more idols than people in Athens. 
And so they had statues and shrines to all the Greek gods and goddesses that you may have heard of in your American, in your world history classes, gods and goddesses with name like Aphrodite and Apollos and Zeus and all those gods. Well, they all had their own shrine. They all had their own temple. I have been in India, been to the city called Bhubaneswar, go there all the time. And it's the same. And actually, Bhubaneswar now has the same reputation as Athens then, more idols than people. Everywhere you look, there, there's, there's a little shrine, there's an idol. The people are very religious. But, but look at, at, at Paul's reaction. It, it says he was greatly distressed. So he sees their kind of their religious enthusiasm, their religious curiosity, but he sees it spread out to every kind of God or goddess conceivable. But, but notice the word that, that he uses. It, it, it says he's distressed by, he's not disgusted. He's concerned, but he doesn't have contempt. And that really speaks to me. Maybe it does to you because there have been occasions when, when I see in our day people turn their backs on Jesus and, and, and I don't get so much distressed. I just get really frustrated. And, and reading that, that Paul is not frustrated and he's not filled with contempt and certainly not disgust. He really has a burden for them. He's, he's distressed because all this religious energy and yet it's kind of missed. Placed. And, and so Paul starts talking to them. Look at what he starts saying to them in verses 17 and 18. It says this of, of, of Acts chapter 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. Those would be people who believed in one God. As well as in the marketplace. So he, he left church and he went down to Rivergate. And when he, in, in the marketplace... Day by day with those who happened to be there, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with them. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about, you want to underline this, Jesus and the resurrection so he, he goes to the marketplace, to Rivergate or whatever the, the Athenian version of Rivergate was. And he starts to talk with, with a group of what, what they call Epicurean philosophers. They thought life was all random. Life was just by chance. And the Stoic philosophers, they thought God was everything and everything was God. So you see a tree, well, there's God. You see a butterfly, there's God. And, and with these two groups of philosophers in the marketplace, he says something to them about Jesus and the resurrection. And, and that offends them. And these long talkers, they call him a babbler. So it's long talkers calling Paul a longer talker. These people who love nothing more than sitting around and just yakking about the day, the issues of the day, they're, they're, they're kind of say, Paul, would you stop yakking about this ridiculous thing that someone could possibly resurrect out of a grave. And, 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 and so then uh, uh, the next thing that happens, look at verse 19, after this debate has started. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know 
what they mean. Now, what, what's going on here? The Areopagus is also known as Mars Hill. And some of you have ever heard of Mars Hill College in the mountains of North Carolina. You're like, that's where, it, that's where the name comes from. This whole, whole place on Mars Hill there in Athens. And, and what was the place that they brought Paul to? Was it, was it like a court of law? Not really. Was it an arena where maybe they were gonna feed him to the lions? No, not exactly. It was, it was actually, you know how we have American Idol and there's a singing contest? This is where they had Athenian Idol and yet it was a debating contest. They didn't care really how well you sang. They did care what a great debater you were. And so they brought Paul to this place and all of a sudden the situation's kind of tense because you may have noticed that they said, you're bringing foreign gods here. <laughs> and the, the thing is, 400 years earlier, and everybody knew this, 400 years earlier, they had brought Socrates to the same place under the same charge of foreign gods, and they killed him. And so curiosity killed not only the cat, curiosity killed foreign gods and killed Socrates. And so Paul, he knows his history and he knows there is a chance that these people are going to kill him because they don't like what he is saying. And, and, and so he begins to speak anyway. Look at what Paul says in verse 22, chapter 17. Paul then stood up. Again, hey, this might be the last speech he ever gives. In the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. I can hardly tell you how much I love this because he doesn't start out his talk by belittling people or by humiliating them. Instead, he affirms them. He says, hey guys, first of all, be really nice if you don't, don't do to me what you did to Socrates 400 years ago, but I see in every way you all, you're like really religious, so good for you. He knows that if you ever want to persuade someone to how you view things, and this is true of faith and politics and relationships, you don't yell them over to your side of the room. You go over and get them and you bring them along with you. You establish some kind of common ground. And if you today, and you are a Christian, you name Jesus and you have a one you've been thinking about throughout this whole series who you really would like to say, you'd like to have that person say yes to a living relationship with Jesus Christ. It's so much better to affirm them at the beginning than to try and humiliate them into believing. You know, you don't wanna be one of those people who loves Jesus and hates everybody else. And, and so that's what, that's what Paul does. And just when it seems like he can't get any smarter, he gets smarter. Because look at what he says in verse 23, very next verse. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant. And ignorant in English, that sounds like kind of an insulting word. In the ancient language, he was really just saying, you are not knowing. That's literally what ignorant means. You are not knowing of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Now, this is true. Athens really did have, they had more idols than people. 
They had all these gods and all these goddesses and, and they loved being curious. They didn't like settling for certain answers. They, they, they liked being vague. They didn't want to be specific. And, and yet there's this one altar they had that was a way of hedging their bets. Hey, just in case we forgot one of the gods or goddesses in the universe, we're gonna make a special altar to one who is an unknown God. And the reason I love that so much is because as I think about Athens then and greater Charlotte now, a lot of us have altars to unknown gods in our lives. For some of us, it's our device. And our device is like our third hand. It's an appendage. For others, maybe your unknown God is a, is a politician or maybe more specifically a cause. And of course people, as, as statistics tell us that, that people are sort of less connected with official religion, of course they're more connected with politics and with causes. We all got to worship something. And then maybe for you, that your unknown God is your own doubt. Maybe you're here at church today, you're tuning into church because the family made you because you're an expectation, but deep down, you really don't believe anything and your doubt, you have managed to turn that doubt into an idol. I'm too smart to believe. And, and you think that idol of your doubt is gonna become like a monument to just how sophisticated you are? Hey, our high school graduates, those of you who are going to college next year, the whole campus will be filled with people like that. Know that going in. And they've turned their own doubt, their own skepticism into an idol to themselves. Look, look how sophisticated I am. I don't believe in anything. Some of you are this. A lot of you in your lives, you have someone who is like this, unknown gods that are everywhere in Athens then and in greater Charlotte now. And Paul, in this genius way that he has of talking to this group who's threatening to kill him, quite frankly. He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't humiliate them. Instead, he says, hey, guys, what, what, what you all love to be curious about, because you love to be curious without ever being committed. You love to ask questions, but no answers, because when you don't have any answers, you don't ever have to be committed to anything. And, and Paul, he then has this incredible privilege. He says, I get to tell you all what you think is kind of vague and uncertain. I'm going to give you certainty. I am going to bring some clarity to the conversation. And he goes on this long talk after verse 23. And, and, and this long talk, and, and part of the talk, he actually quotes one of the Greek poets. It's his way again of saying, I know you all. I understand you all. I'm not going to insult you. I want to build on this relationship that we have. And the whole talk ends in verses 30 and 31. Look at what Paul says. Chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, such not knowingness. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone, hello, by raising him from the dead. Oh my gosh. He lands at the resurrection, doesn't he? The, the same thing that got him in trouble in the first place. 
Remember? Hey, you're babbling about the resurrection. And Paul, it seems, he can't talk without talking about Jesus' resurrection from the dead because he knows. Paul knows that the fact that Jesus resurrected from the grave, that he didn't stay dead, no one else in history has never not stayed dead. Can I hear an amen for that? He knows that that separates Christianity from every religion and every philosophy and every belief system of all time and everywhere. And so Paul's whole speech here is Athenian people. Why would you hope when you could know? Why would you be curious when you can have some certainty? And it's all a way of reminding people, hey, you all, you all might be all about philosophy. I am all about an invasion of history. I don't know if you realize the difference that is. Christianity some of you may be Christians already and some of you may be thinking about it. It is so fundamentally not a philosophy. We don't gather together on Sunday mornings to talk philosophy. Oh, love one another. That's what it means to be a Christian. No, it's part of what it is. But Christianity is an invasion of history that God who is invisible became invisible. God who is immaterial became material. He became a man who lived and who died and who rose again from the dead. And Paul, he cannot talk without talking about the resurrection. And, and so he's such a genius in this whole speech. First of all, he lives to, <laughs> to talk another day. He doesn't get killed like what happened to Socrates. But more than that, he's such a genius for every single one of you who has a one. Every single one of you who, who wonders, well, what's a good strategy to talk to somebody in my life who I want them to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ as well? And here's what it is. You, you affirm their religious curiosity while bringing your resurrection clarity. You, you, you affirm their religious curiosity. Hey, I see you all are very religious while you always bring it back to the resurrection. See, you, you, you'll never argue someone. If, you, if you're a Christian today, you will never argue someone into faith. You'll love them there. Hey, here's some news. You won't Facebook fight them into faith. All you'll do is lose a bunch of friends. You will love them there. And it's not the persuasive power of your words that will ever get anybody to say yes to Jesus. It is the persuasive power of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I told y'all a couple weeks ago that when I, when, when I was my friend's one, he was trying to get me to say yes to Jesus. And I thought I had the question that stumped him. You know, first of all, I wanted him to shut up. Maybe like these people, they, they thought Paul was babbling. And, and I said, well, hey, what's different between Jesus and every other great religion or every other great religious figure in the world? And I, you know, I was like, game, set, match, we're done. And he said, of all the, the people you just mentioned, like Muhammad and Buddha and Krishna, Jesus is the only one who claimed to be God and then proved it by rising from the dead. Simple answer. Soul-saving implications. Graduates, you're going to hear a bunch of people, a bunch of debates on campus 
a bunch of little ten gods, a bunch of false messiahs, of all those people, of all the gurus and leaders, Jesus is the only one who claimed to be God and then proved it by rising from the dead. And if that makes you weird on a college campus, celebrate your weirdness. What's a winning strategy? You affirm their religious curiosity. You bring resurrection clarity. It's really like this piece of jewelry that, that someone sent me a photo of. And you're like, well, how does that message have anything to do with that piece of jewelry? Well, last year at Easter, when we were not gathering in person, Easter of 2020, I, in the message, I, I, I mentioned that I was kind of frustrated that it's very easy in church world to picture the crucifixion. You just have to do a cross. That's easy. But it's very difficult. If we keep that photo up for just a little bit more, it's very easy, very hard to picture the resurrection. And then I, I, I said, but I was glad that our sermon series, the art that went with that sermon series last year, which was called How Much More, kind of evoked a rolled stone and revealed to empty tomb. And it kind of looked like what that piece of jewelry is. Well, Tuning in that day, because that's all you could do in 2020 was tune in, was a young adult who was listening well. And he thought to himself, I'm going to turn that concept, that artwork into a piece of jewelry, and I'm going to give it to my mother for Mother's Day. And voila, that's what that mom is wearing around her neck today. And, and whoever one she has in her life, she already has a starting point for the convert. Well, what's that jewelry? Can I tell you about the resurrection of Jesus? Affirm their religious curiosity and bring resurrection clarity. I know there's going to be a run for custom-made jewelry among the people of Good Shepherd in, in 2021. Yeah, maybe... Maybe what I'm talking about is even like this photo, this is the next photo, and it's kind of, ooh, what's it kind of, you know, what, what is that? Kind of abstract. And then here's what it really is. Ah. So the, the religion of, oh, he's just the big guy upstairs. The religion of a God you invent, the religion as much as we love recovery, the religion even of a God of your own understanding is always cloudy and it's always murky. And we have this remarkable privilege of being able to say to the people in, in, in our lives that what, what you have created in your own understanding, God has revealed to us, God has given to us and he proved it how? by rising from the dead. Affirm their religious curiosity. Bring your resurrection clarity. And, and remember, remember what Paul's journey was. His whole speech, he, he was distressed, he wasn't disgusted. If you're a Christian today, are you, are you bothered? Are you really bothered by the thought that there are people in your life who haven't said yes to Jesus and because they haven't said yes to Jesus, they will spend eternity apart from him? Does that bother you or do you, do you kind of figure they're gonna get what they deserve? And he affirmed them. He didn't insult them. Listen, it is true, you may not know this, but it's, it is true, we are all sinners. It's also true, that's not, that's not a very good opening line in your conversation. 
with someone. Hey, did, did, did you know you're a sinner headed for hell? That's not very winning. <laughs> affirm them, affirm their curiosity. A lot of you have Hindu friends. We love Hindu people so much. We go to India all the time on their behalf. Hindus love Jesus. Affirm that. Affirm their own dignity. And you get this great privilege. Always, 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 always. It is not a philosophy. It's an invasion of history. The reason that Paul risked so much, the reason that Paul believed so much in the resurrection is because he'd been resurrected himself. He knew all about the resurrected king who is resurrecting me. That's the best story that you can tell, good shepherd. I know so many of you have stories that if it wasn't for God, you'd be dead. If it wasn't for God, you'd be in jail. If it wasn't for God, you'd be in rehab again. But God, you're living resurrected lives because you have a resurrected Lord. Do you remember? You remember the, uh, the plane flight? The guy, religion professor, and the guy who says, ah, any road will get you there. Whatever road you take, all roads take you to God. Here's how the religion professor answered that. Well, I am certainly glad the pilot doesn't agree with you, I said. <laughs> well, what do you mean? He asked the religion professor. The people in the control booth are giving instructions to the pilot coming north by northwest, three degrees, you're on beam, on beam, on beam, don't deviate from the beam. I'm glad the pilot's not saying, ah, there are many ways to the airport. I'm glad he is saying, there's only one way we can land the plane and I'm gonna stay with it. And that, my friends, is resurrection clarity. You have a one. Paul had a crowd. You may have a cousin. You may have a friend. You may have a, may have a child. You have a, may have a parent. Affirm their religious curiosity while bringing your resurrection clarity. Let's pray. God, we thank you. That you've given us a story to tell. You've given us a savior to represent. And we thank you for the resurrected king who is resurrecting each of us who names his name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.